Welcome to Episode 3 of the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Episode 3 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm Rob, your host, and I'll be joined again this week by Tom, who is my fellow caretaker of First Knowledge and, again, also the host of the the Hyperion Adventures podcast. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, please do so. Uh, They just started a series this week on remembering Star Wars and kind of going back and renewing your memories or uh, reviewing the films up to this point in time and talking about uh, kind of our thoughts and impressions of what those were. They were kind enough to have me join them again this week, and it was a great show. So I would definitely advise any Star Wars fan to go out there and check out their podcast. Tom, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me again. It's a pleasure to be on your show, and uh, we really enjoyed your content on our last show, which uh, we broke down uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, uh, as we count down towards the Episode Nine and what is uh, tabbed as the end of the Skywalker saga. Excellent. And you know, obviously, we always have a great time talking Star Wars. Uh, for the purposes of this podcast, we are recording this on Monday, uh, March 25th of 2019. And our topic this week is going to be uh, the, the denizens, essentially, of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the uh, individuals who run the shops, the restaurants, and more importantly, some of the attractions. And to give you a little bit of backstory on those characters and how they fit into the Star Wars universe. Additionally, uh, this will give you kind of some context for who they are, and uh, hopefully that'll enrich your experience when you do go and visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So, uh, Tom, hopefully you're ready to dive right into that, and we'll get started. Let's do it to it. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So, uh, really, for me, the, the question I get the most often is, who is Hondo Onaka? So, this is the character that is the centerpiece of Smuggler's Run, uh, which is the Millennium Falcon attraction within Galaxy's Edge. And uh, for those who have watched the animated series, uh, especially the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, he's going to be more of a familiar character. But for folks who have only watched the, the movies, um, you're probably not going to be familiar with Hondo at all. And he is a, is a very important character, and he's actually incredibly well-developed throughout the animated series. And he becomes kind of a similar character to Han Solo, perhaps. Right. I, I kind of uh, look at him with kind of a cross between a little bit of Lando Calrissian and a little bit of Han Solo, and that he's just kind of always working that extra edge uh, somewhere, trying to get the advantage, trying to do something that benefits himself. He's kind of working on the edge to to make sure that somehow whatever he works out, and sometimes it's for the good, sometimes maybe not, but whatever it works out, it's good for Hondo. 
Right. And the interesting thing about him is that he is probably more mercenary as a pirate than any, you know, comparable character, be it Han Solo or Lando Calrissian. Uh, really, when you are introduced to him in the Clone Wars, there's no mercy in him. He is essentially looking for his score. He wants to make sure that he can make the most money uh, as he as he can off any given uh, enterprise that he's involved in, and he really doesn't seem to care too much who gets hurt in the process. Right. That's how we begin his uh, journey, as it seems like. And it seems like he's a pretty ruthless pirate to begin with. But as we see moving on throughout the the Clone Wars and well into uh, Star Wars Rebels as well, there's a little bit of a different side to him. Uh, still, he's always looking out for himself, but uh, there's a little more. And yes, you're right. He developed as a character very well within both those series. Terrific. So the most important thing to understand about Hondo is he is a member of a species called the Weequay, um, and he's a male. So the Weequay are from a planet called uh, Srilur, and that's an outer rim territory. It's a desert planet. And because of the harsh environment on that planet, the Weequay have developed a very tough and thick skin. It almost looks bark-like. He's not Groot, but essentially he has that kind of weathered look to him. Uh, their skin is actually so tough it can provide a certain amount of resistance to even a blaster bolt. Uh, due to their tough nature, they are really ideal for serving as bodyguards, mercenaries, and especially bounty hunters. So for those of you who only are familiar with Star Wars from the films, uh, the character that you probably be most familiar with, uh, who's, a, who's also a member of that Weequay species, is a character named Pagetti Rook. And he was present on one of Jabba the Hutt's skiffs when Han Solo and Chewbacca and Luke Skywalker were being taken out to put in the Sarlacc pit. And Pagetti Rook was the character who actually prodded Luke out onto that gangplank mm -hmm. uh, to have him leap into the Sarlacc pit, um, prodded him out there with his vibro axe. So if you ever go back and watch the films, pay special attention to him. He is another character who's a weak way and a member of that same species as Hondo. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's funny because I didn't really pick it out until you mentioned that to me that, that that was he was from the same species. I had to look at back at the pictures of him in the film. I'm like, oh yeah, I can see it now because uh, you know I'm only used to seeing Hondo in the animated uh, versions of the of the Star Wars universe. So it's a little bit different when you look at it from uh, live action versus animated. But uh, yeah, you can see it when you look back at it. Yeah, it's totally understandable. In all fairness, uh, Hondo is definitely a, a more refined look for that species. Um, he's definitely been cleaned up and, and Pagetti Rook, if you look at him, he's kind of a, a rougher looking character. So it may just play into the fact that he's a member of Jabba's band and probably was involved in some pretty sketchy stuff. Right. I think if you, and the, the member of ja, uh, Jabba's band, isn't he the one that hits the big old drums that are over his head? He's kind of moving <laughs> his on. They're really cool. You'd think so, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the really cool things about Hondo in the Clone Wars is that he was a pretty tough character. Uh, he was known for having captured... Uh, Count Dooku, who is the leader of the Separatists, uh, as well as Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker all at the same time in one of his uh, little operations. And throughout the Clone Wars, he was a constant thorn in the side of the Jedi, uh, especially Obi-Wan and Anakin.
Anakin to the point where there were even some situations where, you know, he and Anakin uh, were in, in battle against each other and, and he attempted to kill Anakin Skywalker. So, again, he was, uh, as we mentioned earlier, mercenary, and he was really not pulling any punches when it came to anyone who was messing with his operations. No, he was out for himself. He was out for his group, his band of pirates, and he wanted to make sure that they came in on top every time. Hondo was also involved with uh, both Jango Fett and Boba Fett. He had a very uh, a very high level of respect for Jango Fett. And after Jango Fett was killed by Mace Window in that scene in uh, the, the attack of the clones in the arena, uh, Boba Fett actually uh, fell in with a bounty hunter named Aura Singh, who was someone that Hondo was romantically linked to. And eventually they ended up coming to seek uh, Hondo assistance with uh, one of their schemes. Uh, in the process of that whole uh, situation, they ended up getting interrupted by Ahsoka Tano, who we've mentioned a few times on this show. Um, we're going to go into her in more detail in a future episode. But uh, for the purposes of this conversation, it's probably most important to note that she was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan during the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka um, ended up capturing uh, Boba Fett. And at the same time, Aura Singh attempted to escape in Boba Fett's ship, which was the one that he in inherited from his father, Jango Fett, which was the Slave One. And she ended up crashing that ship uh, in an attempt to escape. Uh, it turned out that Hondo, uh, unbeknownst to everyone else, had actually helped Aura Singh escape. And he took possession of the Slave One. Um, and was able to fix that up and, and became the owner of that ship for a period of time. Always looking out for himself, always finding a way out for him and his band, for sure, every time. Anyone who's familiar with the Slave One, very cool ship. Um, it ended up being uh, rebuilt by Boba. Uh, That's the Slave Two that most people are familiar with mm -hmm. in the uh, original trilogy. Also, during the Clone Wars, later Hondo was able to capture Ahsoka Tano, uh, who was transporting a group of Jedi younglings who were out in the process of going to the, the planet of Ilum to get their lightsaber crystals. And uh, Hondo and his band of pirates were looking to capture those younglings and get those uh, kyber crystals because they were very rare and very valuable. Yeah, another great episode. Uh, really showed some in-depth of how some of the younglings get trained, what they have to go through through uh really interesting stuff and uh, ahsoka well, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to the when we get to the episode to talk about ahsoka because she's one of my favorite characters of all time yeah that may be an episode that goes a little bit long i think yeah. we both have a lot to say about her kind of the the downfall of hondo came uh later in the clone wars his base ended up being broken up by general grievous who kind of had a bone to pick with him based on some earlier encounters the two had had and uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Darth Maul, who, for those of you who didn't know, Darth Maul survived being cut in half. Uh, apparently, the, the Marvel Universe Spoiler is the alert. only place. <laughs> right, right. It's, the, it's not the only universe that you can come back from what should be a, a, fatal, a fatal wound. Uh, but Darth Maul and his knight brother, who was a, a Death of Mary called Savage Opress, we're looking I love to, that name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is, it is great. And the two of them were awesome together. But uh, they were looking to you know, start another reign of destruction. They attempted to take over Hondo's gang. And that entire attempt was broken up by Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jedi Master Adi Galia. 
Hondo was someone who was tied very deeply into a lot of a lot of important characters during the Clone Wars. And um, anyone who's interested in kind of getting a better idea of who he is, I would strongly recommend you go look at the Clone Wars. Um, watch that right now. That is on Netflix and uh, it's set to expire on Netflix on April 7th. But that will be something that we expect to be coming back to the Disney Plus streaming service when that comes out later this year. I don't think there's any question that it will be there. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Uh, but yeah, if you want to get a chance to look into Hondo, definitely check out Clone Wars. You should just check out Clone Wars anyways, because it's a it's a magnificent uh, series, a magnificent uh, piece of animation that, uh, you know, that really expands on a lot of things that you know, in some ways we're missing from uh, the prequel trilogy in, in between uh, Attack of the Clones and uh, the Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, and it's it's really a testament to how much uh, took place between the end of the Attack of the Clones and the beginning of uh, Revenge of the Sith. You really get a, a really good insight into uh, what led to the, the fall of Anakin and really the Jedi losing their ability to perceive uh, the danger that was rising with the Sith. And it also expands on Anakin himself and just that you because you always hear about when if you just watch the films, you hear that he's this hero, uh, that he's done, mag, you know, magnificent things to to help the Republic. But you don't really see it as much in the film. Yes, you see a few little glimpses here and there, but you don't really get the depth of it. But if you watch the Clone Wars, you realize that how important he was within the Clone Wars and then the battles themselves, how much he helped the Republic, how much he was a hero, even though he was a a troubled, uh, very uh, by polar in many regards hero he was definitely a hero of the republic yeah and i mean you would you would be fair to say that he had a very good heart but that really was what got leveraged to turn him to the dark side he cared so intensely about mm -hmm. people uh that his anger when those people were put in danger uh, was a huge, you know, portion of what caused him to fall. Yeah, and you, you just feel for him a little more after watching his interactions, especially, and again, we were talking about Ahsoka Tano a little bit earlier, his interactions with his Padawan, Ahsoka Tano, uh, throughout this, and uh, their kind of interplay between the two of them, and of course, Obi-Wan as well, uh, really draws out a lot of what you miss in the prequel films out of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. Uh, to get back to Hondo, so at the end of the Clone Wars and with the rise of the Galactic Empire, uh, the Imperials came in and broke up Hondo's gang, uh, known as the Onaka Gang, and he was essentially forced to continue his life of piracy by himself. Interestingly enough, he did have a tie-in to um, one of the characters from the Solo movie, uh, which was Kira. And during this period of time where he was working on his own, he had teamed up with the bounty hunter IG-88, who was one of the bounty hunters brought in by Darth Vader during The Empire Strikes Back mm -hmm. to track down uh, the rebels, and specifically Han Solo and, and Princess Leia. And the two of them teamed up to try to capture Kira, who was Dryden Voss's lieutenant in the Crimson Dawn crime syndicate. Uh, they were actually able to capture her, but in a typical fashion, she was able to turn the tables on them by causing them to fight amongst themselves. And uh, she was able to take advantage of that and ultimately claim the bounties on both of their heads. So she was uh, definitely uh, someone not to be trifled with. And I think we saw a little bit of that in the Solo movie. Yeah, she's a survivor. I think we, you know, we only got a little glimpse of that within Solo itself. But you could tell where um, there, that she'd gone a long way to get where she was. And most of it was fighting and finding her way through things. Thing is uh, scrounging her way off of Corellia. Yeah. Um, also, uh, shortly after that, in the years preceding the Battle of Yavin, 
Uh, Hondo had run across a group who was the crew of, of the Ghost, which is um, a group of the very early Rebels, um, and they are covered in the in the show appropriately named Star Wars Rebels. And one of the members of that crew was a character named Ezra Bridger, again, another character who's uh, more than deserving of his own episode. Mm-hmm. But Hondo's path had crossed with Ezra on numerous times during this period um, in the four or five years leading up to the Battle of Yavin and the events of uh, Star Wars A New Hope. And despite the fact that Hondo still kind of maintained his pirate ways, he he started to display a lot more of a reliable streak. Um, he was an ally to the members of the Ghost, and uh, again, he had he formed a very tight bond with Ezra Bridger uh, to the point where by the end of that series, he was willing to put himself on the line to help out Ezra. Yeah, he'd softened quite a bit since your first introduction to him within uh, the Clone Wars. Uh, definitely, uh, still pretty much the same Hondo. Still looking out for himself, but not uh, afraid to sacrifice himself in many ways to try and make sure that his crew, his friends, would somehow uh, make it through along with him. Yeah. And I think probably the most important thing that changed about him is, you know, as you mentioned, he still wanted to to make his profit, to pull off whatever his scheme was, but he was no longer able to sacrifice people who were trusting him in the process. Right. he has been so much on the run. He's found his, you know, if he was one point, he was in charge of this giant band of pirates. And now he was pretty much down almost on his own. He had a few uh, different characters that kind of would travel with him that he'd find at different areas, but mostly it was him looking out for himself and just his small little group. And so anybody who could help him uh, make it through, he was very loyal to them. He also had a uh, really only one member of his crew per se at the time, a character named Melch. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was really interesting to see because he definitely had developed a very strong attachment to uh, his crew member as well. So there were a number of times where you could kind of see the softening of his character in the sense that he did definitely show concern for his uh, his one singular crew member, Melch. Yeah, quite often, as a matter of fact, too. That being very concerned of what where Melch was at times, it was, it was uh, pretty interesting to watch. Exactly. So uh, in terms of how this all ties into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, um, for those of you who are familiar with the events of The Last Jedi and the Battle of Crate at the end of that movie, uh, we see the Millennium Falcon blast off from the planet Crate and, you know, take off across the galaxy. And what had occurred is at some point um, the Millennium Falcon wound up at Black Spire Outpost on the planet of Batu, And uh, Hondo at the time was running operations out of a portion of the city there called Bakar Spire. And he and Chewbacca ended up making a deal for Hondo to make use of the Millennium Falcon for some of his uh, quote-unquote shipping endeavors. <laughs> and that is basically what lays in the groundwork for what we're going to experience in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as the smugglers run attraction. There'll be many, many, many shipping endeavors going up over and over and over again throughout the day there. I'm looking forward to taking part in them. One of the other characters uh, that people are going to be a little bit more familiar with when they start experiencing Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is uh, the character of Doc Ondar, who we've mentioned on one of our earlier shows. Doc Ondar is an Athorian male, so this would be the character that uh, you would have seen during the cantina scene in Star Wars A New Hope and was affectionately referred to as the Hammerhead. Mm-hmm. 
So he's going to be a familiar looking character to a lot of Star Wars fans. Um, he uh, famously was uh, was known for his involvement with Dryden Voss and was actually present on Dryden Voss's yacht, which was the first light, uh, which we saw in, again, Solo, a Star Wars story. When he was meeting with Tobias Beckett and Han Solo, you can actually hear Kira asking if Doc Ondar is being well tended to. Right. Obviously a very important person to Dryden Voss by the fact that Kira is making sure that he is taken care of. Yeah, I think the um, kind of implied parallel there is if you look at Dryden Voss's chambers uh, on the first light, he has a lot of different um, uh, trinkets scattered around the room, a lot of antiquities. Mm -hmm. Um, Ironically enough, if you take a really good look at it, you can see the gold statue um, that was present in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So there's some kind of cool knickknacks in the background there. Uh, but with uh, Doc Ondar being uh, a dealer of antiquities, I, I think it's probably a safe bet to say that he provides some of that inform- uh, some of those items to Dryden Voss. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, and especially since that's uh, what he'll be doing a little bit of from what it looks like uh, when we actually get to get to Black Spire Outpost. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about Doc Ondar within the framework of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is he is going to be the other character. Uh, in addition to Hondo Onaka, who is going to actually be physically present uh, as an audio, audio animatronic, and the guests are actually going to be able to interact with him and potentially uh, make deals with him if you're savvy enough for items within his shop. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to get to interact with him or if the shopkeepers that are there that work for him are going to interact with him. But either way, you are going to, be, from what we everything we hear, uh, there is going to be some sort of barter system worked out where you may be able to, uh, I don't know, barter on the price, barter on using items, whatever the case may be, to pick up some of these uh, things you might get from his shop. Yeah, and I think we're all looking forward to uh, checking out how that's going to play out within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, oh, so just add it to the list. Just add it to the list. (laughs) Right. Some of the other characters within Galaxy's Edge who run some of the shops that you're going to be able to visit uh, include Savi, who is a human male, uh, who along with a group that he uh, calls the Gathers, run Savi's Workshop, which is the uh, location where you're going to be able to craft a lightsaber. The interesting thing about the Gathers uh, and Savi himself is that they're Jedi admirers who are striving to bring balance to the Force by teaching Force sensitives how to construct their own lightsabers. And uh, the other very cool thing about the Gathers is that they have gone out and uh, compiled a fairly large assortment of components to use in the crafting of those lightsabers. Um, And one of the very rare items that you may be able to use is a Rancor Tooth. So... Um, I don't know who... What dentist uh, was that one from? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm sitting there thinking, eh, I'd be interested to see how they harvest those, but uh, clearly they have some sort of a method to do so. Very nice. Uh, yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, all that stuff, uh, checking out to see the different things. A Rancor Tooth. Wow, what does a lightsaber with a Rancor Tooth look like? That'd be fascinating. Yeah, there is actually um, some scenarios within the Star Wars legend stories where uh, some of the Jedi from some of the more remote planets, and I believe one of them from Dathomir, had uh, crafted their lightsaber using something similar to that. So it will be interesting to see uh, if that is actually what they use for the hilt or if it's integrated into the lightsaber some in some other way. Yeah. So um, the other primary shop that most people are going to be familiar with is Mubo's uh, Droid Depot. 
And unfortunately, we really don't know a whole lot about Mubo himself. Uh, he's still somewhat of a mystery. Uh, so the assumption there is that that's going to be a character who's going to kind of have his story revealed as part of the experience within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. I would imagine within the land itself. And then we also have, there's uh, comics and several books that are scheduled to be coming out. They're going to give a little more backstory behind uh, Batu and Black Spire Outpost and, of course, the land of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So we may find out some of it there, some, t- some of it within the park itself. Yep. And then we have a couple of stalls uh, that also sell some merchandise. And the characters that are uh, tasked with running those would be Zabaka, who is a female toy Darian. So um, as Tom and I were just talking about uh, on their podcast this week, uh, where we were making some references to Watto, the mm-hmm. flying blue alien that was the owner of Anakin Skywalker and his mother. That is uh, what what you're going to be able to think of when you think of a toy Darian. Uh, Zabaka is going to be integrated into that stall um, as she's going to be kind of in a, in a back room behind a frosted glass window. And you're going to be able to see her um, shadow kind of flitting around behind that window. Uh, she runs the Toy Darian Toy Maker Shop, and most of the items within that stall are going to be handcrafted dolls similar to what you would have seen with Jen Erso mm-hmm. in Rogue One. Uh, <laughs> so they are going to have that Stormtrooper doll, but they have a few others, I believe, as well. Yeah, I think that's uh, really interesting stuff. And I, that's one of the things I also like about uh, what they're doing with uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is that they're not just uh, shipping in the usual stuff you'll find in any other Disney store or whatever. This is all going to be uh, items that are particularly created for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and going to be feel very much like they're created right there by Zabka the Toydarian. That's right. And, you know, one of the other items that I think that they had released some photos of fairly early in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge being promoted was a at-at that is riveted together out of various pieces of metal. So Mm -hmm. everything that they're going to be selling um, within the land is going to be kind of sourced from Star Wars itself. It's not going to be branded Star Wars Galaxy's Edge merchandise. These are things that you would expect the people who live in this galaxy to be crafting for uh, consumption by other people within that Star Wars universe. Not coming from Kenner or, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, Lego. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably safe to say. I mean, uh, maybe if you really look at it closely, you may be able to find <laughs> one of those, but um, it's certainly not going to look like what you would consider to be a quote-unquote uh, typical Star Wars toy. Yes. And uh, the other stall that is going to be one of the primary attractions within that land is going to be the creature stall. And this is run by a female of unknown species named Bina. And uh, she is going to be offering numerous creatures for sale that have been collected from throughout the galaxy, including everything from the Kowakian lizard monkey. So for those of you who are familiar with Salacious Crumb Mm -hmm. from Jabba's Palace, the hideous little creature with the cackling laugh, to other items such as Lothcats and Puffer Pigs. So I think the puffer pigs, from what I'm seeing, are going to be the one that uh, most of the kids are going to want to go for. They seem fairly, uh, fairly fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm always uh, I love little loath cats. I love them from Star Wars Rebels. I'm kind of interested in getting a loath cat to have around the house. Yeah, there actually has been some talk that there are going to be um, I don't know if it's going to be one or several, but they're going to potentially have some animatronic loath cats throughout mm-hmm. the land as well. Nice. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, moving on from the shops, we're going to talk a little bit about the food locations. So So the first and uh, most talked about food location is going to be uh, Oga's Cantina, which has been uh, part of the conversation for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge since the very beginning. 
And the proprietor of that particular dining establishment is going to be a character named Oga Gera, who, again, is a female alien of unknown species. And the other character within that cantina is going to be uh, R3X. So this is DJ Rex, uh, formerly known as RX-24. And he has a bit of a backstory within Star Wars Rebels as well. He was actually flying the Star Commuter 2000 transport that the Rebels had leveraged in trying to take over some Imperial arms shipments. And uh, during that particular episode, he was also voiced by Paul Rubens, who who voiced Rex when he was uh, involved with Star Tours within the Disney parks. And uh, he's going to be reprising his role for R3X within the cantina as well. Uh, looking forward to that so much. I, I loved I loved Captain Rex uh, when we in the old version of Star Tours. Uh, he when he would just kind of it always be his first trip, and he always would promise to get it right next time, but he just never really did. So maybe he's found his calling now as DJ Rex. Well, we will find out, and uh, I'm sure that he's going to have his own little uh, interplay with the guests within the cantina as well. I'm sure. And I'm looking at, <laughs> that is one of the things I'm most looking forward to when, as soon as that was announced that uh, we were at the, the D 23 expo uh, a couple years back. And that was when they first announced that Rex was going to be a part of galaxy's edge. And we, it, it was so exciting for us. Cause uh, we just, it's just kind of part of that uh, uh, Disney and star Wars lore. You know, it's just one of those historic things that is, is fun to bring back in, in a different way. It's, yeah, I think it's exciting. Yeah, it's always very nice when uh, they go out of their way to bring back a character that was kind of near and dear to the hearts of a lot of the park guests. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is certainly an instance where they're doing that. Now, Tom, the next character that we're going to talk about, I know, is is probably a little bit familiar to you. Uh, Strano Cookie Tugs, who was a deformed Ardeodac male, most famously known for being the head chef within Maz Kanata's palace mm-hmm. on the planet of Takodana, or her castle, I guess is more appropriate. He is now going to be running a location called Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo. Yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff there that uh, I don't know what drew him away. Obviously, the, the fall of uh, Maz's uh, cantina, restaurant, whatever you want to call it, her her base there on Takodana. <laughs> Uh, drove him out of there, but what drove him way out to the very outer rim and to uh, Batu is going to be an interesting story indeed, I think. Yeah, and interestingly enough, um, this is a character that prior to Galaxy's Edge I really hadn't heard much about, um, but there are some stories uh, tied into Maz's uh, castle on Takadana that involved a good old Strano Cookie Tugs. And it turns out that he was, as a young uh, Ardeodac, he was someone who had come across some ancient holovids of a famed chef named Gormanda. Mm. And that led to him developing a love of cooking as a youth. But due to the fact that he was deformed, uh, he really struggled to find a position as a head chef based on that disfigurement. And when he did eventually meet Maz Kanata and she gave him a chance to become the chef um, within her operation, they were um, able to develop a friendship that lasted all the way through the destruction of her stronghold during the the battle that we saw in The Force Awakens. Right. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see. And I kind of wonder if there's you know, there's a tie-in between the Resistance being on Batu and uh, someone who works so closely with Maz Kanata, you know, uh, being in that location. Is there, were you going to find out something in regards to that? I don't know, but I just find it an interesting uh, coincidence, we'll say. Yeah. 
I think there's probably a lot to that. A lot of the information that we've gotten so far about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is based on your interactions with various characters within the land and kind of who you align yourself with. That's going to drive your overall siding with either the Resistance or the First Order or Mm -hmm. whether you become more of a soldier of fortune or a smuggler Mm -hmm. um, where you're not really aligned with either. So uh, it's fair to to guess that um, some of these characters are going to be tied more with one side or the other. And I think based on his association with Mons Kanata, you're probably pretty accurate with that assumption. It totally makes sense. And uh, again, looking forward to finding out. Yeah. Uh, One of the other characters involved with the food and beverage business within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is a character called Bakar. And uh, he's a male of an unknown species. He has a cohort, I guess you'd call it, um, who is a droid named 8DJ8. And between the two of them, they run uh, the establishment known as Ronto Roasters. So the interesting thing about Bakar is that he is a huge fan of pod racing, um, and his eatery is decorated with pod racing flags from all over the galaxy. And he even cooks the Ronto meat using a modified pod racer engine. So um, if anyone has seen any of the concept art for this particular establishment, it is a huge pod racing engine. And I think it's going to be really cool to see this um, actually come to life. And, and pretty ingenious. You know, I've, I've seen the pod races and, you know, when I was watching them, I never once and I've done a fair amount of cooking in my time, but never once did I think, you know what it would really do? Those, those would do good at cooking some meat. I think that's what I need to get one of those up and fire up uh, you know a good rack of ribs on there or something right and his droid uh 8dj8 is a former smelter droid so his role within the establishment is to uh basically stand next to the <laughs> the roaster itself and turn the meat on the spit so apparently you have to be able to withstand some pretty high temperatures to do that and he's just the droid for the job right he can take the heat so he's gonna stay in the kitchen <laughs> that's right it looks like you may have missed your uh your business opportunity i'm telling you i i should have seen it all the time i'm watching those pod racing i should have known i could have just you know slapped up some tri-tip on there or something <laughs> All right, and so the final uh, character within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that we have a little bit of information about is a character named Kat Saka, and uh, Kat runs uh, Kat Saka's Kettle. He's a Batuan farmer who's known for collecting spices from throughout the galaxy, and he implement or integrates those spices uh, with his colorful uh, grain-based snack food that's going to be for sale to visitors. Um, I think this is pretty well known to be a kettle corn stand right. and it's going to have some sweet and spicy varieties um but uh i look forward to seeing if there's any more backstory to cat saka and if they build that out throughout the process of uh, our experience within galaxy's edge has he visited the spice mines of kessel to get some of that uh, <laughs> stuff out there well, if he if he has and he made it back, he's one of the few. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure it was in more than 12 parsecs. All right. So uh, really, that's all we've got so far for information on the various characters that you're going to be meeting within Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Uh, as more information comes out, I'm sure we'll revisit this topic. Uh, but for this point in time, this is really all we know. I know Tom is uh, poised to get out there right on May 30th when the land opens at Disneyland Resort and get us some front and center information on that. So uh, I guess we're just counting down the days until that occurs. Oh, I have it on my calendar every day. It's like the advent calendar opening up into the Star Wars window. What's today? Oh, <laughs> it's Lando. Nice. Uh, very excited about it. We will be there. Not. We're not going to, as of right now, I'm still 
trying to to work some things out, but might going to be their opening day. But uh, the second day of opening out at Disneyland Resort, uh, we will be there, and we're excited, very excited about it. Yeah, uh, probably just as well to avoid opening day. I think that's going to be fairly crazy. Um, from what I was reading, and this kind of ties right into us uh, dovetailing into the Holonet news for the week, um, Disneyland Resort announced that every on-site Disneyland Resort hotel is completely booked for May 30th of 2019 in anticipation of the opening. Um, so if you were hoping to get a room on property and take advantage of that guaranteed two-hour window, um, unless there are cancellations, it looks like those are going to be very hard to come by. But uh, I'm sure that between then and June 23rd, if you get out ahead of it, there's still going to be some opportunities to snag up those reservations. Yeah, that's not the only way that they'll have reservations out there. It's not just going to be for uh, resort hotel uh, patrons. It, there will be other ways. They haven't uh, disclosed them yet, but it wouldn't shock me if that comes all out here in just a couple of weeks at uh, Star Wars Celebration 2019 in Chicago. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, really, all I was referring to was just the guaranteed reservation. Mm-hmm. But as they have pointed out, you will be able to make a reservation for a two-hour window via some uh, yet-to-be-announced means, and we'll all be looking forward to hearing what that is. Uh, I agree with you, Tom. It's probably going to be coming out during Star Wars Celebration. Yeah, and if you if you weren't able, if you were looking to get one of the resort hotel rooms and you weren't able to get them before they uh, were all sold out to see about getting on a wait list because it wouldn't shock me there's some of these prices you know people are booking them at a pretty high rate and maybe as they get a little closer to it they look at their bank account and say you know I really want to do Star Wars Galaxy's Edge but I don't know if I can afford it and some things might open up so if you really want to do it and you don't mind paying the high price that it's going to be to stay in one of these resort rooms uh, try and give them a call and see if you can get on a wait list for them yep and uh, one of the other interesting tidbits that came out over the past week was John Favreau, who is going to be the director or an ex- executive producer of the Mandalorian series uh, that'll be coming to the Disney Plus streaming service later this fall. Uh, had posted a picture out on Instagram uh, with one of the directors for uh, an, an episode of The Mandalorian, a uh, gentleman by the name of Taika Waititi, and he is uh, voicing an IG series assassin droid, and the picture that was posted was um, of him and the assassin droid that he's going to be uh, voicing. So I think that is a great teaser for The Mandalorian. Um, it's going to be very cool to see some of these characters in action kind of on the lawless fringes of the galaxy and I know that we're both looking forward to hearing more about it again during uh, Star Wars Celebration they're going to have a panel on that Mm -hmm. coming up uh, from April 11th through the 15th and uh, we will be posting updates on information that that comes out during that that celebration absolutely i'm going to be glued to any live feed that they may have i'm hoping they have they had last time in 2017 so i'm hoping they're going to do that again uh, this time and i will be glued to every little piece of information i can get out of that for uh, all the stuff that's coming out uh, you know we're talking about the mandalorian we're talking about the cassian andor series that is uh coming up on disney plus as well uh of course episode nine Uh, There's going to be some stuff on Galaxy's Edge. There's going to be uh, some of the other animated uh, series. Uh, There's going to be features on that, as well as the new video games that are coming. I know they're going to be uh, demonstrating a little of that. So I'm I'm excited about it all. Yeah, the uh, 
Fallen Order video game is something that I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. And uh, hopefully that is something that we're going to have access to. Uh, I think they were talking around November of this year. Yeah, I think right in time for Christmas. Perfect. So uh, the only other thing that I want to point out, and this also dovetails nicely with our conversation about Star Wars Celebration, is that on the official Star Wars site, they do now have the full schedule for that event on their page. Um, there has been endless uh, announcements about new guests that are going to be added to Star Wars Celebration this year. I think the most recent of which was Hayden Christensen, mm-hmm. who you'd know as Anakin within the prequel series. So uh, love him or hate him. Uh, he is going to be there. Um, it's just going to be incredible to see all of the various guests that they've got um, that are going to be taking part in Celebration this year. Yeah, uh, there's a tremendous list of guests, some wonderful ones. I'm glad Hayden Christensen's coming back. He, he showed up for the first time again. Again, really back into the Star Wars universe back at uh, Star Wars Celebration 2017 and he was welcomed with open arms which for a long time he wasn't really because uh, just people didn't like the way the portrayal of Anakin was necessarily and it kind of you know, you know how Star Wars fandom can get sometimes and I think it kind of drove him away from acting and kind of somewhat really damaged his career but you know it was good to see him finally be welcomed back into the fold he had a a great round of applause when he made the appearance and obviously it was a warm enough welcome that he's willing to come back again for 2019 and there's some speculation out there that we may not be done seeing him in the Star Wars universe possibly yeah I know that uh, this was a topic that we had talked about on your podcast the other day and I think we're both in agreement that, um, again, people need to take into consideration with these actors. Uh, You may not like the performance within the film, but I think it's important to keep in mind that what they're doing is they're delivering the performance that the director is asking for. And, um, you know, you have to you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Um, All they were doing was their job. And. Uh, ultimately, as Tom always points out, you know, any one of these roles within a Star Wars film is something that any of us would have jumped at, uh, at without without even a second thought. So it's great to see that that people like uh, Hayden Christensen and uh, other characters and actors that were involved with uh, the prequel trilogy that had kind of gotten a rough time. Uh, people like Ahmad Best. Um, are getting back out there and, and making appearances on the Star Wars Celebration right. circuit. I'm not best. Another one who's going to be making an appearance at Star Wars Celebration 2019 as well for the uh, the Phantom Menace 20-year uh, anniversary celebration panel that I believe is happening on the Monday. So uh, you might want to check that out as well. Absolutely. So uh, again, I would definitely recommend that anyone who enjoys listening to Star Wars content Uh, Go out and check out uh, Tom and Michelle's podcast, Hyperion Adventures, and um, their new series that they've been uh, putting out, which is the Remembering Star Wars, uh, kind of building up to Episode 9. Uh, Tom, do you want to give some information on how uh, they can find your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. We're on pretty much all your basic uh, podcast sites. You can find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We have our own website as well, com. We even have our own uh, uh, YouTube page now where we – it's just pretty simple videos with the podcasts on them the enti- in their entirety. But uh, if, if it's another way you can find us and, and get us on your phone or wherever else you want to listen to us you can in that way and uh please if you get a chance subscribe to us and uh, hopefully you're, you're already subscribed to the jedi temples archives podcast 
Thanks so much, Tom. Yeah, and please go out there and check them out. They do put on a great podcast, a lot of information both on Star Wars and Disney as a whole, um, and it's always presented in a fun and entertaining way. So, um, again, Tom, thank you for joining us this week uh, for Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Again, uh, as we tell you each week, we are available on all the main podcast platforms. Uh, I do want to give a special shout-out to one of our listeners, John, who um, listens to our podcast on Pocket Casts, and when he realized it wasn't out there, he submitted our feed uh, and let me know that he'd done that. So, uh, again, anything that we can do to uh, get the podcast out on a new platform where you're going to be able to find it, please let us know. Uh, if you have any ideas for future show ideas or any questions that you want answered on the show, please reach out to uh, uh, us with that information. We can be reached at uh, jtapodcast at gmail.com. And also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA Podcast. Uh, again, we're looking forward to hearing back from you. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review. It's going to make it a lot easier for other listeners to find us in the future. And we look forward to uh, bringing you a lot of great content down the road. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you.